Shallowing driving it toward the back post for Zussi, who puts it back across, and Shelton slots it home! Zussi can have a hit from here, he does, and Graham Zussi re-elect Graham Zussi! Shallowy knocks it in! The Hungarian assassin has given Sporting KC the lead! It's Russell! This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Presented by Michelob Ultra. Enjoy a Michelob Ultra today. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And by Casey's own CBD American Shaman. Score yourself free samples of great all-natural CBD products at a CBD American Shaman near you. CBD American Shaman. Everything is better with the feather. Now your host, Nate Bucati. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you stream your content, we appreciate you tuning in audio only today. Uh, is it just the ugly faces of Nate Bucati and Connell McCourt? You don't have an ugly face, man. You're a very uh, handsome man, you know? Thank you. Connell McCourt is uh, is with us here today. Allie Trost is celebrating her honeymoon right mm-hmm. now, which, um, which after just a beautiful wedding ceremony this past weekend, uh, replete with uh, rainbows and everything, it was incredible. So congratulations to Allie Trost and to- Allie Trost Martin now mm-hmm. and Tom Martin as they, uh, as they have tied the knot. So you got just the two of us here today. I'm very excited about an interview we've got coming up on the show. We're going to talk with Nashville SC General Manager Mike Jacobs. And uh, he, of course, spent several years in Kansas City as, uh, as, as kind of the right-hand man to Peter Vermees in the front office here. Took all the great stuff he learned in Kansas City and, uh, and hit the ground running in Nashville. I mean, they had a seventh place finish their first year in the league. Third place finish last year. Now they move over to the Western Conference, and they're in the playoff positioning right now as well. And they got a slew of home games coming up mm-hmm. the rest of the year because they started with their first eight games of the year away from home. Of course, that's where Sporting Kansas City will be on Sunday, on Father's Day. Sporting Kansas City at Nashville SC at Geotis Park. So we'll talk with Mike Jacobs um, coming up uh, in just a little bit, which will be a lot of fun. Connell, how you doing, man? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Uh, very, very hot in town. Um, Oof. But, I mean, the summer's coming back, so it means we're getting into the dog days of MLS and stuff. But, yeah, it's good. Trying to stay cool, but, yeah, we're keeping it. It, it, certainly, uh, it certainly felt like one of those summer days at Children's Mercy Oof. Park on Sunday, did it not? Oh, God. Um, that, uh, that was a hot one, a 2 o'clock start. We've seen those before. Um, in the middle of the summer, and uh, it affects the play, doesn't it? I mean, you can just see the pace of the game. I, I've never, I've never seen anybody do it. I'm sure there are statistical studies out there, but uh, the ground coverage through the course of a game like that, consider, uh, can, compared to like a game maybe in early spring would or in have the to fall, be way less, wouldn't it? Right, like you would think so. Like, I mean, I mean, Uri running around with uh, his shorts pulled way up, his <laughs> sleeves showing. I mean, yeah. it was a, it was a hot one. You could tell, and it was affecting the players too. You could tell as as soon as they get into the second half, and it started. The game started to get a bit more laborious, and was moving on. People were moving a bit more sluggishly. weren't really getting passes off in time. Getting a bit, getting caught up. The ball caught under their feet and stuff. It was just that's what you expect. You come to Kansas City at this time of year, and 
the sun's beating down. It's not going to be free-flowing football, and that's just that's what we've seen, I guess. So Sporting lose the game by a score of 2-1 to one to the New England Revolution, and they fall behind early in the game, a ball over the top to Gustavo Bo. He brings it down, and um, it may be a misplay by Volader, misjudging the ball or whatever it was on the back line, just kind of a little too easy there after Sporting looked like the better team through the first half hour of the game. Then... Ori Rizal gets a yellow card in stoppage time to close out the first half. And then he gets another yellow card three minutes into the second half. Now you're down a goal, down a man. Sporting fight back. They get the goal from Johnny Russell. Just an absolutely immaculate set-piece goal by Johnny Russell. And you're thinking, okay, a chance to get a point out of this game. But then in the 87th minute, Tim Melia, maybe not one of his best moments, spills the ball right in front of goal on a shot by Bo, and uh, Emma Boateng's there to knock home the rebound, and Sporting Kansas City suffered the 2-1 loss. There's a lot of things to unpack here. Definitely. We could talk about the, 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 the first goal and, and, the, and, the, and the breakdown there. We could talk about the fact that the center backs were swapped out at halftime. I don't remember the last time I saw that in a game. We could talk about the yellow card, the second one. Did we think it was just? Peter Vermees had some harsh comments for the officiating after the game on the, the non-call that, uh, that uh, he felt happened when Kyrie Shelton was knocked down that led to the, to the third goal. Mm-hmm. Take, we could talk about the false nine of Felipe Hernandez starting up top before the injuries happen. I'll let you kind of have your pick of the, the, the spinning wheel of topics we could go with here to, to talk about this game. See, the thing, the overarching kind of feeling that I had coming out of it, obviously it's disappointing and stuff. You were talking about how hard it is to play at this time of the year at this part of the country in that heat. It's hard with 11 men. It's almost impossible with 10 men. If you have 10 and you're constantly chasing the ball, constantly putting the pressure on. And the Sporting's credit, when it did, when it went 1-1, you could kind of feel a bit of belief, even around the stadium and stuff. Everybody was kind of like, okay, right, let's kind of see. And it was then that we, look, it's the old adage, like, goals win games. You need to have mm-hmm. a bit of quality in that area when you're putting the position to take advantage of it. And sadly, it was just lacking a bit. Uh, at the weekend, Roger Espinosa goes through one-on-one when it's 1-1, and Said foots outside of the foot, sorry, puts it by the post. I mean, that creeps in and it's a whole different game. Then Sporting can just defend for that, but it's that just a bit lack of quality just in the final third that we had. I mean, Johnny kind of bailing us out again with another, I mean, unbelievable strike. The goalkeeper, I don't even think he wanted to move for it, like, but. So you're just kind of, you're wanting something else, something more, and then Remy goes down, that's always going to hurt. I mean, you kind of have to rejig some things, everything that we're working on during the week with Felipe as the false name, kind of, all that kind of just goes out the window as soon as Remy goes down because you're having to make tactical changes. And, and I thought Carrie done well when he came on as well. It's just those type of moments. I felt a bit bad for Amelia because he wasn't having a bad game. Uh, there was a mm-hmm. couple, of, couple of shots because they really started to apply the pressure. Once they could, once they could, use their extra man once we were constantly chasing the ball they were always finding themselves free in good areas so Bo had a couple of good chances a couple of people had a couple of good chances that Melia was rose up to I remember McNamara I believe comes in one on one Melia makes a great save so yeah. he was actually doing well yeah. and then just that one I, th- I think it just skipped up on him and he kind of just, just flaps at it, it and, bit. Yeah. and unfortunately for him Boateng wasn't long off the bench, so he's the sharpest there. So he straight in can knock it bam, and it's just one of those ones. It just seems to be that's the rub of the green that we've been getting this year. And you don't know 
if we keep 11 men on the pitch, it's all if sand and butts like, but it's probably a different scoreline in that game because I thought Sporting were kind of coming into it. But it's just those moments where you need that bit of quality, it was just a bit lacking. So I went back and watched the game on the, the ESPN broadcast. We were doing the radio here on uh, Sports Radio 810 WHB, and I always like to go back and hear maybe I pick up a nugget or two from the national broadcasters. And, of course, we got a big nugget from Taylor Twelman about right. some possible reinforcements right. coming in for Sporting Kansas City in the summer transfer window. We'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, a couple of the things that they talked about, you know, Taylor Twelman pointed out, no team, I didn't realize this, no other team in the history of the three designated player era in Major League Soccer has lost two of their three DPs for the entire season. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that Taylor threw in there a little bit, he said a couple times that Alan Polito's telling everybody that he might be able to actually make it back by the end of this season but that Peter Vermees and the technical staff are a little more cautious. Like, mm-hmm. first of all, let's see where we even are at the end of the right. season. Is it right. worth it to risk it? Um, but but we're they're not they're not planning on having him back. So Sporting be trying to do something that no team's ever done before, which is just get through a season without two of their three DPs, let alone make the playoffs. And and Taylor Twelman then spoke about how there's so much time left in the season, and Sporting at the time were only four points out of a playoff spot. Now they're. The, the, the last playoff spots held by Houston on 18 points and Sporting are on 13. So you're only five points off. Now, of course, there's a lot of teams you got to leapfrog in, mm-hmm. that, in that regard. you got to remember that as well. But John Champion pointed out that no team has been this deep into the season since they went to a 34-game schedule on 13 points or less and ever made the playoffs in the Mm. league. So Sporting will be trying to do something that no other team's ever done to climb out of this hole right now. Those things stood out to me. And, I mean, I just look at it and I do say, look, the designated player thing has been there since the start of the season. So maybe if you're in Kansas City, you're tired of hearing about that. But it is a massive point. You're starting Felipe Hernandez at center forward in this game. Mm-hmm. You don't – I mean, I looked out on the field with Daniel Shallowy gone and Johnny's gone. John, it's like, who's going to score for this team if not Johnny Russell? Right. And he does go score. You know, and by the way, I feel like that Johnny Russell might be putting together one of the greatest performances of a last-place team I've ever seen in right. this league's history right now. There's just so much to try to overcome right. right now for this team. And and then, you know, you, you, you add in these little mistakes that really they're big mistakes because they're the kind of mistakes that lead to goals. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, hard. It's, a, it's a tough one. But you're kind of forced to play, I mean, no disrespect to some of the players that are playing now, but you're kind of forced to play players that you probably wouldn't be expecting to get in, to be breaking into the team so early or even to be forcing their way in because, I mean... Or you're asking guys that maybe should have been role players on this team that come off the bench to spell somebody else or get to play, make spot starts here and there and develop in their careers. And you're suddenly you're people, the guy, yeah, you know? You're playing the nine. Right, right. <laughs> you I know, mean, or you got to play all 90 minutes for seven games straight. And also, I mean, look, the team knows. The team are hurting. Everyone's hurting. There's players are physically hurting. There's... It seems like a player's going down every week now because there's such a huge load on these guys. And you can see it's kind of taking their toll on them. I'm sure it takes its toll mentally as well. But, I mean, Johnny doesn't want to be... Surely he loves to score every week, but he doesn't want to be the only one that's kind of having to put the team on his back and try and drag them through some of these games. And as soon as you go down to 10 men, and a, a task like that becomes impossible. I mean, what can you, you can only do so much. 
And I mean, you're thinking if you have Gaddy there, if you have Polito there, and hopefully with the introduction of these two new boys that they're talking about coming in, that'll give us something, a, a little bit of a lift, even if it's just a morale lift. People know, OK, well, right, we actually have other people here that can pitch in, that can can grab some of the goals, can make some of those key passes. Because, as I said, it's not as if Sporting were in that game for large parts of it at the weekend. It was just that final bit of quality, that that one thing that, that you're, the likes of a DP can do, can pick a hole or pick a lock or, you know, wear down a defence, even if it is a game that's like a war of attrition. When it comes up to that pivotal moment, you can kind of bet your bottom dollar that they're going to score, they're going to pop up with an assist. So when you lose that and you're kind of forcing it all onto one guy, I mean, he scored a free kick, he ran his socks off. There's not much more he can really do. So until we get a bit more quality, either added to the team or coming back from injury, then it, it may just be this way. It may just be a bit of a grind. So it's, um, it, it is a grind. Now, we, we mentioned there's also this news that came out according to uh, Taylor Twelman, and they put this up on the ESPN graphic, that Sporting Kansas City will be bringing in a couple of additions in the summertime. None of this is official. We don't have anything official. We're just going off of what Taylor Twelman is saying and reporting here. But uh, a couple of players coming in at positions where Gadi Kinda and Alan Polito are missed. Eric Tommy, um, a midfielder who's been playing in the German Bundesliga, and then William Agata, who is uh, a Ghanaian, who... Uh, has been playing, I believe, in Israel. Israel, yeah. Most recently, uh, those are the two positions Sporting are missing more than anything else. Connell, what have you found out about these two players as you look into them? Um, I was just, I was kind of just doing a bit of base research, just kind of seeing how they went last year. How, uh, I mean, why they would be looking to come this way? They look very exciting, honestly. The two of them, Eric Tommy, has seen. He's a German, played for Stuttgart last year. He only played eleven games, had some injury worries last year. Uh, pelvic injury kept him out of a lot of the start of the season but towards the end of the year they were putting him in they were getting him games that brought him on against Bayern Munich with 15 minutes to go the game was 2-2 so left midfield trying to win the game so that's a good sign I think came on the last 30 minutes against Cologne last game of the season was 1-1 when the game ended 2-1 to them so done his job it seems like he's a, a player that's kind of coming back and would probably be hungry because he didn't play much last year hungry to get into the team and that's kind of what we need someone to come in kind of hit the ground running um, William Agata, I, I know a bit less about honestly. Just kind of what I've read and some of the some of the things being put out the last few days. Twenty-two year old attacker scored five goals last year in twenty-four games. Kind of seems to be looking for a new challenge and okay, centre forward. Kind of someone just there with that bit of even if it's just being on the end of balls, getting in behind defenders, using a bit of speed and giving people a bit of trouble. It looks like it could be too. Exciting signings for for the league anyway, or for the team, and for the the uh, the city as well because we all need something to cheer about it at the minute. You know, hopefully we'll be cheering on Thursday when we get these uh, World Cup, you know, the destination yeah. cities. But yeah. this will yeah. give us something a bit more domestic to hopefully uh, get excited about. Well, of course, uh, the thing is, you know, you're limited because you don't get D- DP spots back just because the guys were injured for right. the year. So there's only so much you can spend. So we'll see. Maybe taking a little bit of a chance on Agata, or not a chance, but uh, taking a bit of a flyer. See if this this is a person that can add something in the attack for you. Tommy seems like a guy that, that's got a pedigree to yeah. him that you can count on right away, and, and they certainly need that help in the midfield as well. So we'll see.
see how that plays out. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to talk with Mike Jacobs, the general manager from Nashville SC. And then after that, there's been breaking news today in Major League Soccer when it comes to the world of broadcast. We've been talking about that. What are the broadcasts in Major League Soccer going to look like going forward? We've got some big news on that that came out earlier today. Plus, we'll give you the latest on that Thursday announcement, the World Cup. Is it coming to Kansas City or not? We're just a couple of days away from finding out. That's all straight ahead on the Sporting Kansas City show on Sports Radio 810 WHB, presented by Michelob Ultra. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, and Wherever you get your podcast, we're presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. We're getting you ready for Sporting Kansas City, taking on Nashville SC, their first time ever at Geotis Park, the brand-new stadium in Nashville. And I'm going to be on the call of that on Fox Sports 1 as it's a nationally televised game coming up this weekend. Very excited about that. And very excited to talk to our next guest, the general manager of Nashville SC and a man who spent several years here in Kansas City on the front office staff with Peter Vermees as well. Mike Jacobs joins us. Hey, Mike, how are you, man? Thanks a lot for taking the time with us today. Hey, Nate, great to catch up today. And so, uh, you know, I, I had a great time talking with you on the phone a little bit yesterday and reconnecting with you. It was always one of my favorite things about going to training back in the days when you worked here. You, you'd kind of stop by sometimes if I was at training and, you know, just chat with me about things that were going on with the club and the mindset on what it was you were trying to accomplish. And uh, I, I miss those conversations. But I do know because of that that uh, you, you, you've taken a lot of what you did here in Kansas City over to what's uh, gone on in Nashville. And I'm curious for you, what's it like to go up against Kansas City after the history you've had with this club here? Absolutely. And, you know, being born and raised in New York my whole life, uh, really a large part of my own professional development, uh, you know, took place in Kansas City and with Peter, who remains one of my closest friends. And, you know, the opportunity to get to go up there earlier this year was almost like a homecoming. And, uh, you know, to have the chance to have these guys come here now for the first time, you know, really, uh, to me, I think it's the ideal setting for us to measure ourselves against the group that, that I always hold as, as a gold standard in our league. Well, so you, you mentioned that you and Peter Vermees are very close. Uh, for those that don't know the story, can you take us back? Like, how did you and Peter become friends? When did you first meet, and how did that relationship start? Sure. So, you know, Peter and I you know, grew up in a similar part of the world. Uh, you know, he's from uh, Delran, New Jersey. I'm from the New York metropolitan area, and, you know, where our paths cross a lot, uh, you know, over the years. Um, you know, when we were different ages, I was a little younger than Peter. Uh, you know, the opportunity that we had to start coaching together really at the youth level, uh, we had worked, uh, what's now the USL. Uh, there was a youth national team that, uh, Peter and I had a chance to coach with together. And, you know, even back then, we always had talked about the idea of us getting a chance to work together someday. And, uh, you know, we stayed in close contact. Uh, my first trip as the, the head coach to University of Evansville uh, actually was to Kansas City. To, to spend some time with him, and uh, he was working with at the time it was the Blue Valley Stars. I think they're since uh, sporting Blue Valley now, and you know, so the, the first kids I was recruiting were you know were kids that he had worked with himself, and it was just something we had always talked about. Maybe get a chance to to collaborate, work together at some point, and you know, when the opportunity presented itself for him to add staff, look, he wears obviously a bunch of hats there at the club, and you know, the same way that he has people like Carries uh, of Agnan and, and Zoran Savic as assistants on the field. You know, he really didn't have any support you know, in his role as, as technical director or general manager. And 
would he offer me a chance to to come in and join him uh, you know, in a role like that? You know, to me, it was like an offer I couldn't refuse. So, going back to those days, you said you coached these this youth na- youth national team together, and you discussed you know how fun it would be to work together at some point. Can you describe what it was uh, about Peter that maybe you thought, yeah, this is the kind of guy I'd like to work with, and and maybe what you guys saw in each other that made you, uh, you know, think, yeah, these, yeah, we'd like to work together someday. I, I think uh, that Peter Vermeesty has seen the sidelines sometimes a different person off the field, but I, I do think that the things that probably fans see every day on the sideline are things that I was down very endearing about him. You know, he is as passionate and as competitive a person as he'll be around. Uh, that's back when he was a player. Uh, it's permeating him as a coach in the front office. Uh, you know, so I think everybody wants to be around people they think are kind of like-minded. And I just always appreciated how competitive he was, uh, how passionate he was about the game, about succeeding. Uh, and I think just even the ability to, to work towards uh, leadership management, uh, developing people, I just always thought it was kind of like a shared view about how the game should be played. And I think about how to, how to treat people and how to coach people and how to build a team. Those are all things I really appreciate about him. Uh, as a person, I think I just always, uh, uh, you know, he, he was always so dialed in and focused. He's uh, it's probably, you wouldn't be surprised seeing him on a sideline on game day. He's probably as a, as a single-minded, focused person I've been around. Uh, there's no coincidence the success he's had, both as a, as a player and as a manager. And to me, I, I think those are all things I always kind of not only hoped that I embodied as well, but I think it's believed in strongly, and I believed in not only the Kansas City Wizards now sporting Kansas City, but it's believed in him. We're visiting with Mike Jacobs, the general manager of Nashville SC, who have made the move from the Eastern Conference after their first two years in Major League Soccer in the East over to the Western Conference this year. So that's why Sporting Kansas City now get to play them multiple times. And we're talking about the connection that Mike has with Sporting Kansas City. And so you're working here in Kansas City, and then you make this move, and you're in Nashville now, and you're starting up a club. Uh, and, and look, we've seen some expansion sides come to Major League Soccer and hit the ground running, like LAFC and Atlanta. Those are in really big markets, but we've seen other uh, expansion teams come in and really struggle to find their footing. Cincinnati would be maybe at the top of that list. And Minnesota you know, had a couple of rough years before they were able to get into the playoffs. But you guys were competitive right off the bat. And I'm curious, you know, what, what was maybe a thing or two that you saw in Kansas City that you really wanted to emulate when you had the chance to do this as the general manager in Nashville? Well, I mentioned this to you the other day when we spoke. Uh, I remember it was yesterday, uh, you know, Peter's first press conference as technical director of then the Kansas City Wizards. And you know, he was asked you know, kind of a similar question about what he was going to do, albeit not with an expansion team, but you know, kind of starting from scratch and creating his own imprint. And what I really appreciated was you know, the idea, and I actually uh, took a page of this in my own first initial time greeting the press here in Nashville, you know, the idea of rather than trying to, um, to try to, to sell an idea of maybe players' names who maybe were famous in a previous life. Uh, you know, uh, you know, MLS 1.0 was built a lot around uh, maybe aged players who came here, you know, after their prime. You know, what I kind of appreciate what Peter said was, you know, for us, we just think the best way to engage fans to win all the time. Uh, and if we do that, you know, our players will become stars in our market. And that was something that was important to me. And, you know, I, I, I really tried to look at what our owner's vision was. Uh, you know, I think very similar to what you've seen in Kansas City, you know, with the Patterson family and the Illich family. And, you know, for us, I, I think creating a model 
that we thought not only could have success right off the jump, but one that was sustainable as well and could do year after year. You know, those were things that, that to me, I saw, you know, from sporting. As mentioned earlier, I, I kind of always saw them kind of as a, as a gold standard of the league. And, you know, for us, I, I think we were going to do it our own way and be, you know, we, we use this phrase a lot about being uniquely Nashville, you know, and, and having it look like, you know, like how we think it's going to look. But there's no question that, that I've taken best practices and things, whether it's uh, game models or, uh, you know, building a roster, you know, what a team should look like. Now, for sure, there's a lot of similarities uh, when you see the both teams in the field on Sunday. So we're visiting again with Mike Jacobs, and, and you, you went to put this thing together, and it, it appeared to me that, that uh, you built this thing, first off, to make yourselves difficult to beat. Could you talk about maybe one or the two of the priorities of how you went about doing that? Like, if we're going to – you can't necessarily do everything you want to do right off the bat as you're building a team. So what were a couple of things you really wanted to make sure you accomplished right when you hit the ground with Nashville? You mentioned earlier that the reality is most expansion teams, not only in MLS but in all sports, uh, historically fail miserably. And not only their first year, but their first several years. And, you know, a large reason for that is when you're putting new players together who haven't played together previously, uh, you know, sometimes with limited resources. And you mentioned teams like Atlanta or LAFC that, that had a lot of success in their first year and, and spent as much as any team in league history you know, had done in their first year. Uh, you know, for us, we, we just kind of felt the best way to, to, to develop co- continuity and sustain success would be to be really stingy defensively. Uh, you know, the idea that most expansion teams tend to be miserable defensively and give up a lot of goals. And, you know, for us to be able to, 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 be able to do so, uh, you know, in a situation where if we could keep score lines down low, uh, if we could have a veteran presence of guys who understood our league, uh, understood our country, uh, you know, the, the fact that, that our league plays, you know, in a time of the year where most other leagues don't play, you know, uh, uh, having to play in places like Houston or Dallas in August, you know, the, under climate that can be really challenging people from other parts of the world. For us, we wanted to make sure that we were not only stingy defensively, but you know, we had kind of an infrastructure where Nupus has built the players who had kind of been through the rigors of our league and understood how to, you know, how to influence success in our league. So when, when you did that, you also then were able to bring in guys like Hani Mukhtar down the road. And, and I'm curious, you know, he's got good numbers again this year. He's one, becoming one of the bigger stars in the league. Could you talk about the process of, of identifying a guy like that and then bringing him into Major League Soccer? Absolutely. So, so we spent a lot of time putting together positional models, you know, and, and positional profiles and having an idea what a player in each position looks like. So, uh, you know, that, that vision has got to be not only what our club wants, but specifically what our manager's looking for also in certain roles in the field. And, you know, those positional profiles can be not only like what they look like physically, their height and weight, you know, their, uh, you know but also technically that the attributes they have, tactically, you know, how they play their teammates. And also, most important, which I think is the hardest one to kind of to be able to assess, identify, is maybe the psychological or mental makeup. And, you know, very rarely do you find, you know, I mentioned earlier, in most of the history of our league, you've had players come from Europe and been past their prime. Uh, very rarely have had a player like Hani come here. You know, he, he was the player of the year in the Danish league, but had played for Germany at the youth international levels, at the U19 and U21 levels. Uh, very rarely you find a player with his CV or background you know, coming here our league at age 23 or 24. And, you know, I think not only identifying a player from the leagues that we thought would translate to MLS, but having certain qualities. Uh, very rarely do you find players uh, with your own strikers, number 10s, who play as hard as you do on both sides of the ball. 
um, you know, who have certain athletic attributes. Uh, the age he was at, I think, it was very, very unique for us to find a fit like that, someone who, who looked like Hani, and is someone we believed in enough that we thought he would have a lot of success in our league. So I'm curious because one of the things we hear uh, from Peter a lot is, you know, the idea of recruiting a player, an international player, to come to Kansas City. And, you know, you're really selling the soccer. Uh, we all love Kansas City here in this town. We're very proud of it. But we also understand that players that come from other parts of the world might not even heard of Kansas City. They're thinking when they think of America about Los Angeles and, and New York City and things like that. I'm curious what it's like to recruit players to Nashville. There is that, I mean, Nashville's a cool city. There's the big music scene and all of that. Um, are you finding that players from other countries, they think of it as a destination, or is it a little bit of a sell as well that, hey, you, you ought to come check this place out? Well, hey, first off, and definitely something I'm drawn from, from Peter, you know, the idea of finding players who embody the sporting way. Uh, there are a lot of good players in other leagues that don't come to MLS and don't matriculate or settle in the way that they had in other countries. And, you know, you know, when you look at the idea, there's different climate and lifestyle in our country. We think how vast our country is as far as the travel. Uh, you know, it's larger than most countries the team to be playing in, maybe a language barrier. There's a lot of factors that go into finding players that fit. And, and I think, you know, anyone can look out in the field or watch a video and say this guy's a good player. I think the real challenge is finding guys who really fit the, the culture of your city, fit your team, and fit your coach. So in relation to Nashville, I, I think we are fortunate that it is, uh, you know, it, it's really, it's, it's one of the new it cities in our country, you know, uh, but the census has it, I think, a uh, hundred people move here a day, you know, so wow. it's, it's a very popular city and, you know, uh, you know, growing up in New York, I would say, you know, Broadway, downtown in Nashville is, uh, it's like Times Square in New York. Uh, you know, Nashville has surpassed Vegas as the, the bachelor and bachelorette capital of the United States. So uh, it seems like downtown and specifically on Broadway, it's a party every night. Uh, between that, uh, the music scene, you know, uh, there's just a lot of things going on. It makes it really, really vibrant. And I think, uh, you know, it has not been a hard sell for us to people to want to come to Nashville. And, of course, now you've got Geodis Park, this brand-new stadium. And, you know, we, we saw it here in Kansas City, kind of the trendsetter in that regard when Children's Mercy Park was built to be one of the best stadiums, maybe the best at the time. And teams that keep coming into the league keep trying to kind of one-up it a little bit. Um, I'm curious, what, do you see some similarities between your stadium now and the one you saw here in Kansas City in, in the early days of uh, Children's Mercy Park? It's a great question because, you know, before I was working in sporting, you know, I, I coached at Duke University for a number of years and had a chance to watch basketball games at Cameron North Stadium. Uh, you know, I thought I'd never seen anything like that until I'd come to Children's Mercy and saw how loud uh, and how feverish the fan base was and their support really created this really unusual home field advantage that we had at Children's Mercy Park. And, you know, to me, you know, looking at what you have there, uh, I see a lot of similarities to when, you know, when it first opened as Livestrong Park to what we have here with Geodis now. Uh, it's To me, it's, it's the loudest venue in Major League Soccer. Uh, it creates this really unique home field advantage that I think home players love playing here. I think visiting players hate playing here. Uh, I hope that continues. You know, uh, you know, right now we have, uh, I think it's the sixth longest home winning streak in, in, in MLS history. It dates back, dates back to 2020. But, you know, we, we've had a lot of success here so far this season. And, you know, I, again, I, I think you saw it in the great teams that, you know, that, that you've had there at Sporting. You know, I, I think when you play well at home, when you have a tremendous fan base that supports you and makes the, the visiting teams uncomfortable, 
You know, uh, uh, to me, whether it's the cauldron or anywhere in the field, you know, I, I, there was no question there were times in sporting where I felt that we attacked better going toe with the cauldron. And for us, I think part of what, one of my goals was to have it whatever side we're attacking, whatever side we're defending, that, you know, it, it's, it, it makes a very definite home field advantage for us here. And you guys have an incredible uh, run of 25 games. Now, this obviously goes well back before Geodis Park of, of unbeaten soccer at home. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's like record-setting stuff. How, uh, and it, it's obviously not just the venue because, uh, like I said, it goes back well before Geodis Park opened. What would you attribute that success to at home in that regard? It's, you know, the idea of, you know, teams playing for three points at home versus maybe no less than a tie in the road. You know, a lot was made last year. Uh, we set a league record for most ties in a season. Uh, and, you know, for us, I, I always use the analogy of being like card counters in a casino. You know, we've got a really clear picture of what we have to do to be successful. And, you know, I, I think our team t- tends to be a little more expansive at home than on the road. Maybe we tend to be more conservative and they play a little deeper as, you know, trying to make sure we don't concede. But I think uh, the combination of being more wide open uh, offensively, you know, last year we averaged, uh, you know, over two goals a game at home. Uh, along with you know this fan base that it's a uh, um, creates a surreal atmosphere for us when we're playing here. I think it's just the ideal setting for a team to do well at home. Mike, we really appreciate the time. Uh, congratulations on all the success in Nashville, and uh, you know, good luck going forward. And uh, hopefully, we get a chance to talk to you again real soon. Thanks a lot. Look forward to it. Okay, that is Mike Jacobs, uh, the general manager of Nashville SC Sport in Kansas City. We'll be taking them on this weekend on Father's Day. We will take a break. Connor McCourt will rejoin me right after this on Sports Radio 810 WHB. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Nate Bucati along with Connor McCourt. And we got some other news outside of specific to Sporting Kansas City to get to here today. And this is big news, maybe bigger to people like me and Connell who work in this industry than to even you, but it is important for you the uh, the 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 fan the person who's going to be uh, you know accumulating your content and watching your games somewhere this has been hanging over the uh, the the sport for a while now and so we'll see um, or we've been wanting to see where this was going to go with the new television rights deal for Major League Soccer they put out an announcement earlier today Major League Soccer has formed a partnership with Apple TV for an historic first for sports uh, partnership. And I'm just going to read some of the the highlights that have been put out on MLSsoccer.com. They have signed a 10-year deal beginning in 2023. Fans will be able to stream every single MLS match through the Apple TV app without any local blackouts or restrictions. Of course, you know we've been trying to manage those blackouts and restrictions uh, everywhere. This will be every MLS and League's Cup match. Select MLS Next Pro and MLS Next matches as well. 
There's one place for everything. It says no need for traditional pay TV bundles. Fans can get every live MLS match by subscribing to a new MLS streaming service available exclusively through the Apple TV app. A broad selection of MLS and League Cup matches, including some of the biggest matchups, will also be available at no additional cost to Apple TV Plus subscribers with a limited number of matches available for free. Season ticket holder benefit is that uh, access to the new MLS streaming service will be included as part of the MLS full season ticket package. There's all sorts of news coming out about this um, from the league, from business journals, and uh, there's a lot to unpack in this whole deal. Had some people ask me, uh, what does this mean for local broadcasts? The way it's been described to me is... There will be no local broadcasts anymore. Everything's going to be centrally done in-house um, by Major League Soccer. You say boo, I say <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, what does that mean for me, guys like me and Connell and and Ali and Jacob Peterson and all that? Time will tell. I believe is the answer to that. We don't know how they're going to hire, who they're going to hire, what they're gonna, who's going to be calling these games, where they're going to be calling them from. Yet there's still a lot to be up in the air on this, but. Um, this is certainly a change, Connell McCourt, from what we've done, where in the past it's been when, when, when Sporting Kansas City have a game, there's the home show and the road show, right? Unless it's a national television game, we're doing one broadcast and the other team has their own broadcast as well. That's going to be a thing of the past. There's going to be one neutral broadcast for every single game in the league. Yeah. Um, I can see a lot of people liking it. I, can, I mean, especially season ticket holders and stuff. I, I know that a lot of people complain about blackouts and stuff, that they can't watch certain games and stuff. So I can see people liking that. Um, if you already have Apple TV, I guess people will be pretty happy. Um, I just, it's one of those things that it's kind of, I, we were, I guess we were hoping maybe that it would be kicked down the road for a bit, but you can't really stand in the way of it. It seems to be the way that they're all going. I expect the Premier League, they've been kind of talking about something like this becoming somewhat of like a like a Netflix of football where they can just charge, they can become their own thing and charge people to uh, to watch exclusively to them, not give any money to, to the TV stations. But I don't know. I don't really know how I feel about it at the minute. It, it's kind of putting the league behind a paywall, so I don't know what that does for growth. Uh, there, I think there'd definitely be less eyes on it than there would be if it's on uh, TV stations regularly, uh, whether that be the local broadcasts or the uh, national broadcasts. So it's all kind of up in the air at the minute. I'm not really too sure what to mean. So does it, if you have Apple TV, you get the whole, every game for free? Or does it, because it says a broad selection of games, yeah. does that mean you'll have to pay an extra premium for... The way I read this, you're going to have to subscribe to an MLS uh, package. Uh, On top of your Apple TV? Yeah, fans can get every live MLS match by subscribing to a new MLS streaming service available exclusively through the Apple TV app. A broad selection of MLS and League Cup matches, including some of the biggest matches, hmm. will also be available at no additional cost to Apple TV Plus subscribers with a limited number of matches available for free. So if you're subscribing to Apple TV, you get some matches, uh, but not all of them. If you buy the, the league package, you get all of them with no blackouts. I think that the big selling point they would point out is there are no local blackouts anymore. You right. get to watch every game regardless of where you are. Um, 
And, and that's, in fact, I see one of the quotes here from the Sports Business Journal. Quote, the main component of this deal, though, is a subscription service that will have every MLS game with no blackouts. Because right now, you know, everybody's got their own local TV deal, which means that if you have the ESPN Plus, you can't watch the Sporting Kansas City games if right. you're in a certain area. Of course, we've tried to work around that with the deal that we have right now. Um, but uh, th- this is going to kind of sort that out for the entire um, for the entire league. Now, um, um, looking at the Sports Business Journal, it says um, that this is the first all-digital global media rights deal for a Big Five league in mm-hmm. North America. That's the other thing I would point out. Looks like this is a global deal. So, um, and, and the way I've read this from some people, and again, we're still kind of unpacking all of this, is that um, it's two hundred fifty million dollars minimum per year, and then Apple TV will kick in um, extra money depending on what subscribers are like on top of that going forward. And so, I mean, the fact that it's a global deal as well, as you know, Connell, as a guy that um, has lived in another country, that's lived overseas, grew up overseas, I do get the sense that the global interest in MLS is growing in some Mm -hmm. ways as much as it is here domestically because there are more and more players starting to come out of this league and go feature in other leagues and things like that. Um, So maybe that's a big part of this selling point as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it certainly looks like they're trying to reach, extend their reach anyway, because, I mean, if you're in the UK, if you're in Ireland or anything and you want to watch this, a lot of the times it actually happens that if people are up and they want to watch soccer late in the day, MLS is the only thing that's kind of on TV back home. So you see a lot of people picking up a lot of viewers that way. I'm just, I'm not too sure about the, because, uh, yeah, Apple TV's everywhere, isn't it? That's what I'm kind of trying to think. It's it's all over Europe. It's in, so all they would theoretically have to do is have Apple TV and then obviously whatever this, I wonder if they'll go, you have to pay like per game or because of like El Trafico, those type of things, I doubt they'll be yeah. giving those away for free. Yeah, my, my guess is it'll be the same type of deal that where you, you, you can buy an annual subscription or mm. a monthly subscription, something like that, and if you pay it, you get all the games. But this, And this may, honestly, this just looks like it'll probably be the blueprint for how many other leagues are going to follow it now because mm-hmm. they were saying... I mean, the Premier League, the money they make in overseas, I think it's the it's the most yeah, money for, sure. for anything. It's a, it's a juggernaut, like it's in the mm-hmm. billions of dollars that they pay for overseas rights. So what's to stop them just doing that, making their own kind of monopoly and charging everybody for their own subscription? Because you know people would do it. It's the most watched TV, or it's the most watched sport anywhere in the world. I just, I don't know, do you think... It's MLS now, so will it be France? Will it be Italy? Will it be other big leagues following? Because I mean, as soon as someone kind of sets the blueprint, it's usually that's the way it works. Well, and, and that's the way we've seen it go here over the last few years where for a while there, like first off, NBC got the English Premier League and they put all the games on all the broadcast channels. And then they realized, wait a second, we can launch our app, the Peacock app, mm-hmm. and make people subscribe to that to get all the games and then they make sure to put some of the best games on that app exclusively so then you feel like you have to buy it Mm -hmm. and um you know then and and so between them and paramount plus everything's going to streaming these days and everything's going to a la carte where you pay for that you want to watch this league you got to pay for that you want to watch that league you got to pay for that right and um and it looks like this is going to be the actual first specific if you want to watch all the games in this one league you just buy it right here so we'll see um where it goes from here Okay, we got some other news to get to quickly before we run out of time, Connell. And that is the fact that on Thursday, 
We're going to finally find out another thing we've been waiting for a long time to find out about, and that is will Kansas City be a host site for the 2026 FIFA World Cup? The announcement is scheduled to start at 4 o'clock Central Time. They're going to broadcast this announcement out of New York City, uh, and they're going, to, they're going to have a little bit of a watch party in the KC Live District in the Power and Light that's open to the public starting at 3.30. Um, and, and there's going to be all kinds of stuff going on down there around it. How do we feel uh, about our chances right now as we're right on the doorstep of this announcement? Um, I'm feeling good, honestly, for the first time in... In a way, like the closer it gets to it, I'm feeling less reason to be kind of skeptical. The the talk we had with Grant Wall a couple of weeks ago gave me a lot of kind uh, a lot to think about. I was kind of a bit on the fence about could it go to other cities. He seemed to think that some of those cities were non-starters, that they weren't in the mix at all. And then just kind of speaking to some people at Sporting in the last few days, like when you put Kansas City as a city, when you take the culture, when you take what we have, what we're doing here with the women's football, what we're doing here with Sporting, obviously we're having a bit of a down year this year, but every year, perennial, they're, they're up there and they're challenging and they're kind of pushing the envelope. I mean, you put all that together, you sit the links with uh, Clark Hunt, what he'd done for the league, what he'd done for the sport in this country. It just seems to be... I think they would be very off the mark to not choose KC as a location, just with everything that goes into it, with the top-class facilities we've got, everything that we can kind of offer as a city. The closer it gets to it, you would think that I would be feeling more nervous, but I'm actually feeling more at ease that KC will get it, because, honestly, KC deserves it. Yeah, it's... uh I feel the same way. I'm just, I just don't want to get my hopes up too high, but I guess, you know, hey, look, we're going to have a party on Thursday one way or the other, so hopefully we'll see you down there at 3.30 uh, to, uh, to start things off. And then the broadcast, here's my biggest question is, says the broadcast, uh, the, the live broadcast of FIFA's host city announcement show will occur from 4 to 5 p.m. So are they going to make us wait for 45 minutes before they actually get yeah. You know, like when <laughs> right. we watch the World Cup draw, right. we get to see music Singers videos and, stuff. and yeah, mascots getting strong. unveiled yeah. and things dancing all over the place and everything. And then finally, so they're going to make us wait till like 445. I think so. <laughs> I yeah. mean, just give us the news, right. you know. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it all goes from there. Okay, so that's coming up on Thursday. And then, of course... Friday, a lot of us are going up to the SKC2 game in Lawrence, which will be a lot of fun. And then on Sunday, Sporting Kansas City will take on Nashville SC, and that's going to be a tough one. Nashville SC unbeaten in 25 games, all competitions in a row. San Jose gives them a good run for their money there at the weekend. So hopefully if that's something to go by, you know what? They're at home for the first time. They have a big stretch of home games as well, which you think would give them a lot of... Uh, you know, would make them feel 10 feet tall when they're walking out there with all those fans cheering them on. But mm-hmm. that can kind of bring its own pressure too. You know, this is the first time we've been here with so many people, so much expectations on them. If you get an early goal out there and the fans can start to get on their back, you never know what could happen. So let's not lose faith, you know. Absolutely. That game's going to kick off at 5 o'clock Central Time from Geodis Park uh, on FS1 and uh, you're going to hear a familiar voice on the call. Yours truly is going to be calling that game for national television. I'm very excited about that whoop opportunity whoop. as well with uh, with Warren Barton. So, uh, And then, of course, we'll have the game here on Sports Radio 810 WHB as well. And I want to wish a happy Father's Day to everybody out there. 
I'll be away from my fam on Father's Day, but doing something that I love with all my heart. So it's my first one. So yeah, you have to tell me where all the fathers meet. Where yeah. is our? Where is the meeting? That's a good question. I don't know, buddy. I I know that my family. We always go to the zoo. We we've gone to the zoo every year on Father's Wait, Day. Is there not like an international fathers gathering? Shouldn't there be? Wait. I've been led up the garden path here. This isn't real, then, no. I don't have any idea if you're t- if you're pulling my leg right now or if you're being <laughs> serious. But yes, there's a meeting. I just don't get invited to. How do you feel, man? Is I mean, this is it. You're you're beaming. You just I got to walk in the pride parade with you and your amazing family, Oshin. <laughs> did mm-hmm. I say it right? You did indeed. Oh, yeah, man, what a beautiful little baby. Uh, you're, you're just beaming, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I love it, man. It's the best thing ever. Honestly, it he's is. only four months, so we have a long, time to, a long way to go, but yeah, I love it. You're, you're the best father ever. That's the thing right <laughs> there. All right, that's Connell McCourt. I'm Nate Katie. Thanks to Mike Jacobs for being on the show as well today. We'll see you next time right here on the Sporting Kansas City Show.